It's great to see you all. Thanks so much for coming. Hey, I had another great Texas experience last night. Went to my first Texas rodeo. Um, bull riding is what happened last night, which was a lot of fun. So I had to wear my cowboy boots here. Um, just because I don't really feel like I fit into them or it's really me, but I'm trying. I'm trying to put a good foot forward here, but it was, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of fun last night. <laughs> Get your Bibles out if you would, please. We have started this series several weeks ago that we're calling On Purpose and the lies that we believe about our potential. And I said this throughout the series, that it is really important for you to know that God has a purpose for your life. You're not an accident. It's not like everybody else has a purpose and you don't. God created you. There was a reason for why he created you. And I always think it this way, is that God wants something to happen, and so as a result, he creates. And so there's something about your life that he that he had in mind, and that's the reason why he created you, so that you would be able to fulfill that. And so our walk and our this kind of life of faith is this process of trying to learn, to discover, to find out what God's specific purpose is for our life. Because I think so often you can just kind of go through the motions of life and never fulfill your purpose. And too often, I think our cemeteries are filled with people who um, really were unable to fulfill their purpose. So many people's potentials and purposes are, are laid to rest in cemeteries. But let me just suggest to you, that's not what God has for your life. There is more to what God has for your life. And so we've been talking about how do we discover this? And how do we walk into this? And by the way, you need to know that even in a series like this, when we do this on a, a Sunday, there's only so far I can go into it. And I want you to know that we really um, dive deeply into this in what we call Catalyst. In the second semester of Catalyst, um, we really take the time for you to individually take this journey of trying to discover your purpose, where you actually walk through and being able to see what it is for you. We're talking about principles and ideas here, but in Catalyst, we really get to the nuts and bolts of what it actually is for you. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here as we're going through this series. We're going to wrap it up next week and kind of this big picture of what God is doing and how your story fits into God's story. But this, uh, this afternoon, I want to add a little bit more to what we were talking about last week, because last week we started talking about all these different obstacles that can get in our way that will try to keep you from finding your purpose and will try to prevent you from fully walking out your purpose. And last week we looked at four of them. We looked at one of the obstacles being refusing to do anything until you have all your ducks in a row. This is a big one for, I think, so many of us because we, we, it's hard for us to move until we have everything in our hands. And we know for sure this is what we're supposed to do before we take that step. But you really need to understand that so much of what God does is in a progressive way. And so you need to act on what it is that you think it is that God is doing. Don't wait till you have all the pieces to the puzzle because you may never have all the pieces to the puzzle. Don't wait until you have all the resources in your hand because you may never have all the resources in your hand. Just step out, which then brings me to the next obstacle we talked about, which is trying to fulfill your purpose in your own strength. Let me just say again, it requires faith. 
Whatever purpose God has for you, you cannot fulfill it just with your own talents and giftings and abilities because it's bigger than that. It's bigger than what you can do by yourself. It requires faith. It requires supernatural ability, which is what is so exciting about you walking in your purpose because it'll take you further than you ever thought you could go. And you'll be able to do things you never thought you were able to do, and it's, but it will require faith. And then the third obstacle that we talked about is criticism. Criticism. If you're going to do anything of significance, people are going to criticize you. And so it's not a question of whether or not you'll be criticized. It's a question, what are you going to do when criticism faces you right, right in, that, in that situation? Because people will criticize you. But always remember that these people that are criticizing you are not the one who gave you your purpose. The reason why we do this is not to please people. It's to please the one who gave you your purpose. We're not to do this for, for people. And so we need to stop trying to please people. You just need to stop it. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. All right? Because criticism is going to happen. You can't please everybody in this world. And so that's a, an obvious obstacle. And the fourth one we talked about is your character. Your character is such a huge obstacle that unfortunately derails so many people in this journey of discovering and walking out the purpose. Every one of us know people that have been in the, the spotlight, whether it's politicians or executives or sports players or actors or people in ministry who are in the spotlight at one moment and then were completely out because they got derailed because of their character. In other words, their character was unable to sustain them through the length of their purpose. And we need to be able to long time stand up tall, if you were here last week, about understanding how we need to walk this thing out your entire life, which means you have to constantly give God access to your heart because there are things that war against us that will want to cause you to be derailed. Because if you're derailed, it'll cause other people to be derailed as well. I want to call, um, draw attention to a couple more obstacles here this afternoon. And the first one I want to talk about is this issue of busyness. Busyness. This thing that we seem to just think that, well, this is just what life is. It is busy. And this thing that we tend to wear kind of as an, uh, a badge of honor. You ask most people how they're doing, and they tend to respond, busy. I'm busy. But I want you to understand it's bigger than that, folks. Because I get it, we're all busy. Every single one of us, our lives are filled with busyness, with activities and issues and problems and opportunities. And we all face those types of things. But if you boil it down, when you really start analyzing our busyness, most of our busyness revolves around taking care of ourselves. Come on, think about it. Most of your busyness revolves around just taking care of yourself, which means responding to the needs of others may not even register on your radar. You're so consumed with you and the busyness of your life that you don't even have an awareness of what's happening around you. And the reason why this is so significant is because of what I talked about in the very first message that we talked about this series, is that I don't know exactly what your purpose is, but I do know one thing about your purpose. Your purpose has something to do with people. Some way, somehow, your purpose has something to do with other people, which means if the devil can keep you busy, 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 if the devil can keep you distracted with just your stuff, 
then you'll never be able to fully walk in your purpose. And at the end of the day, you're not going to make those eternal impacts that God has in store for you because you're just consumed with self. And so that's why what busyness does to us. That's why it can't just be the American way, folks. It can't just be, busyness can't just be this thing. It's not benign in your life, but it can actually derail you off of your purpose because you're just so concentrated on your own stuff, which then brings me to the next obstacle, which is your priorities. Your priorities. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now think about this, folks, because how we invest our resources and how we invest our time is we do that based upon what we think is important and necessary. You're doing things your priorities already are based upon what you think is important, what you think is necessary. But most of our priorities are usually about addressing all of our different basic needs. Our priority a lot of times is based upon experiencing comfort. We tend to be comfort-driven society or experiencing pleasure, experiencing entertainment. And so when it comes to purpose... I think what ends up happening is that it gets, it gets kind of squeezed out of our life. In other words, I'm so consumed with the stuff that I, I don't, this idea of living my life beyond something tends to not even come into the equation of how I'm living my life, which is why you can't ever confuse activity with significance and impact. You can't ever confuse activity, just doing a bunch of stuff. That doesn't equate to significance and impact. Meaning doesn't come from what you do to survive. Meaning comes from what we do that adds value to others. That's where your meaning, that's where your significance, that's where impact really takes place. In other words, there are things that you're going to do in life that just, to just survive. Take care of your basic needs and to pay the rent and to pay the bills and to stay healthy and maintain relationships. These are things that we just do basically to survive. But the acts that pushes beyond survival and provide you with a greater sense of joy and fulfillment, these are the things that make the world a better place. When you start taking care of the world around you and your life starts having impact on other people's lives, that's where your life begins to have all this fulfillment and this joy to it, which means you have to make your purpose a priority. A priority um, as much as, every bit as important as, the things that you do just to survive, to eat and to grow and to have a place to stay in, that your purpose actually has to have at least that much of a priority in your life, if not greater. Because if you don't figure out this issue of priorities in your life, at the end of the day when your life is over, you'll realize that all you ever really did was survive. You know what I'm saying? And how easy is that to do where your weeks start growing into months, your months start growing into years, and all of a sudden decades have passed, and all you've done is survive. 
Let me suggest to every one of us, your life is more than just surviving. Your life is more than just getting up in the morning and eating and going to work and coming back home and eating again and watching TV and going to sleep and doing it all over again. Your life is more than that, folks. There's a greater impact that God has for every single one of us. Miles Monroe, he said it this way. He says, you and every other individual on this planet possess an awesome treasure. Too much of this treasure is buried every day, untapped and untouched in the cemeteries of our world. Much talent, skill, and creativity have been lost to the world for want of a little courage. Many obscure men and women enter eternity pregnant with potential, with a stillborn purpose. Living with ability brings responsibility. Dying with ability brings irresponsibility. I think about this, and I wonder how many of us have our, our purposes are just so unfulfilled. And I wonder, where's the miss for us? And I think this, pri- this, this obstacle of priority is one of the things that will cause you to miss this because you're, you're doing all these things to survive. But let me encourage you, folks, your purpose has to rise in priority where it becomes something that you push and something you look for everywhere you go so that you live your life with purpose and not just survival. Which then, here's one more obstacle that I think that we need to contend with, and that is not being willing to give up what you think you have in order to get what Jesus is offering you. This one's a big one, folks. Not being willing to give up what you think you have in order to get what Jesus is offering you. Look at this in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It says that Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. The man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. I think for so many of us, we read this passage, and neither we want to just cut it out of our Bible and not think about it, or it scares the daylights out of us that this is something that Jesus would actually ask of us, right? To actually have every, everything you have, to take it and go and sell everything. I mean, Jesus, really? I mean, is this really what you want? And I think for so many of us, we're just like this rich young ruler. When, when we commit our lives to Jesus, when we decide that we're going to follow him, and now his call to deny ourselves and to pick up our crosses and to follow him, I think our first reaction is defensive. We start making all of these excuses, and when you think about it, all these excuses come from the fact that we don't want to let go of control of what we have. We want to be in control of our lives. But look what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. He says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. 
Now listen to this paradox. It doesn't make sense, does it? He's saying, if, you'll, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. Really? I don't like this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it because it takes things out of my control. But here's the thing. If you want to find your purpose, you have to let go. If you want to find what it is, all that God has for your life, you have to let go of everything that you're holding on to, everything that you're clinging to. If you want these great adventures with God and all that God has for your life, then you have to let go of what you have. Because think about it. If we're holding on to things tightly and God wants to put something more in your hands, he can't. The only way you can give me something and put something in my hands is that I have to open them, right? I have to open up. And our issue of control is that we hold on to these things afraid that if I lose this, then I'm going to lose something really, really important, really valuable, something that I really need. When all the while, God has something more that he wants to give us. Any of you Lord of the Rings fans? Yeah. Any of you? You should know by now that I am. So growing up, read all the books, loved them. And then when the movies came out, absolutely loved every single one of them. And I love J.R. Tolkien's approach, the author, um, because he did it all as these allegories or biblical allegories to this life of faith. There's so much biblical imagery throughout his stories. And, and one of the one of the allegories is really with Sam and, and Frodo, who are these unlikely hobbit heroes in the story. But when you think about it, if you know their story, they were hobbits. They lived in the Shire. Hobbits don't leave the Shire. You don't leave. You don't go outside the bounds of the Shire. They had their nice, peaceful wor world in the Shire, and so you just don't leave. Hobbits don't leave the Shire. But when for Sam and Frodo, in order for them to walk out this great adventure that was for their lives, they actually had to leave. In other words, they had to take these huge risks that people around them weren't willing to take. And they had to leave their comfort zone in order to experience the greatest adventure of their life. When you think of the disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they'd experience a very similar thing. And in Matthew chapter 4, it tells the story, verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee pre preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Think about this. Think what they're doing. They had to leave the financial security of their father's fishing business in order to experience the greatest adventure of their lives. And when you think about it, this is exactly what was happening with the rich young ruler here in Mark chapter 10. But this man, he turned and he walked away. 
Jesus was having the same approach with this young man that he had with all the rest of the people. But for this young man, when he heard this thing about turning and, and, and following and giving everything up like others had done, he refused to do it. He was unable, he was unwilling to give up what he had in order to get what Jesus was offering him. Others had done it, but he was unable to do this. He was unwilling to do this. Any of you ever seen the game show, Let's Make a Deal? Any of you seen it before? It's an old one. Since 1963, it's been on TV. The, the original host, Monty um, Hall, is that his name? It was the original host, and he just died this past weekend. But, so it's been on TV for a long time. There's new, new hosts throughout the years. But if you don't know what this game show is, it's like all their game shows, is that they bring contestants up on stage and offer them a variety of prizes that are both good and bad. Um, uh, because what happens is that, and what probably makes the, the game show even compelling, is this tension because of the agonizing decisions that these contestants have to make. Because what can happen, for example, is that the host would bring a contestant up and offer that person $1,000, no strings attached. And so it could just stop right there. That person could take that $1,000 and sit back down and go home. But what makes it so fun and challenging is the host then asks that contestant, this $1,000 is yours or you can trade it in for what's behind the curtain on stage. Now, the contestant doesn't know what's behind the curtain on stage. It could be a brand new red Corvette. It could be a two-weeks all-paid vacation to Hawaii. Or it could be a case of dill pickles. And that was the catch with the game, that you never know when you're going to get this case of dill pickles. And so the contestant had a choice. The contestant could choose, take the money, be satisfied with the money and go sit back down or be willing to risk what he had already won for the potential of something more. That's the essence of the game. This past Groundhog's Day, Courtney's mom was actually on the show, um, Let's Make a Deal. So she had um, actually always wanted to be on the show and and, uh, um, and so her, her, mom, her mom and her mom's sister and a friend, they went to L.A. to try to get on a bunch of different game shows. They were just going to make a trip of it and try to get on a bunch of game shows and see what would happen. And so they found out that um, Let's Make a Deal was airing. They were, they were doing the airing, not the airing, but the the recording of that show for Groundhog's Day. And so the big thing about Let's Make a Deal is people come dressed up as weird stuff. And so they dressed up as groundhogs. And so they, so they came to the show as groundhogs. And sure enough, Courtney's mom gets chosen as one of the contestants. And so this is what she's hoped for. You know, she's wanted to do this for such a long time. Well, the funny thing was is that the three of them had this conversation with each other. They said, if anybody gets brought up as a contestant and you win money, take it and run. <laughs> Don't go any further. Just take it and sit down. So they had, kind of, they had all agreed with each other that that was what was going to happen. Well, very quickly, she won $1,500. And so... so Fantastic, $1,500, but just as the show does, 
The host offered her something different, something more, which was a, re- a brand new red car. I don't remember what brand it was. It was a brand new red car. Well, she was supposed to say no and just take the money and sit down and run. But she got wrapped up into the whole thing, and she said, sure, I'll go for it. So she gave her money away, played this other game, and didn't win the car. So she's, she still kind of kicks herself and thought, what was I doing? I said I wasn't going to do this. I was going to keep the money and not play this thing. But she had a lot of fun with it. Well, this morning I thought we would play the game, let's make a deal. All right, you ready for to play some game here? I know you didn't come to church to play a game, but we're going to play let's make a deal. Everybody grab your, your sermon handout, if you would, please. When you came in, you should have got a sermon handout. Who has a red dot on your sermon handout? Let me see, who has a, who has a, who has a red dot on your sermon handout? Somebody right there? Yeah. Oh, come on down here, would you please? Come on. Come on. Come on up here. You could try to decide who's going to come up here. Fantastic. Um, let's make some introductions here. There you go. There you go. We're going to go Spanish and English here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, I'm Gaston Martinez. My name is Gaston Martinez. And where are you from? Uh, Mexico. Fantastic. And are you guys related? Yeah. Brother-in-law. Your, your brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Fantastic. Well, Gaston, I have $20 here for you. It's yours. All yours. No strings attached. Does he understand? But I also have this beautifully wrapped present over here. And so you can take the chance of giving me back that $20 and taking what's underneath there. Does he understand? Okay. <laughs> Or you can keep this $20 and you can sit back down. It's up to you. Um, it may be a bunch of dill pickles under there, or there might be something different that you might want. It's your choice. You want the box? So you got to give me back the $20? All right, let's see what's underneath the box. Maybe you can read it. You want to read it? It says, uh, congratulations on your decision to let go of something of value for the potential of something of even greater value. In close, you will find two $100 bills. The first 100 is for you. The second 100 is for you to give to someone in this audience today. So take that first 100 and be blessed and know that God loves you. And now take that second hundred dollars and give it to someone right now. So that's yours. That's yours. And then if you'll take this and give it to somebody in the audience, whoever you want to. (laughs) 
All right. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Gaston. Thank you. Gracias. Ah. Uh. Yeah. I have twenty dollars. <laughs> the reason why I did this is I, I want you to see a visual. Because when you look at Mark chapter ten, this is what Jesus was doing with that rich young ruler. Now follow what's happening here, because Jesus was having this conversation with this rich young ruler. Let me give you a paraphrase of what I think this might have sounded like for this young man in verse 21. It could have sounded something like this, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I'm offering you the great adventure of your life. I'm inviting you to partner with me in my great kingdom mission. I promise you will find your deepest purpose and your greatest fulfillment in life in doing what I created you to do. All you have to do is lay down what you've already won, and I will replace it with treasures beyond your imagination. I think this is what Jesus was doing with this rich young ruler, but it's the last part of this sentence that's so stinking hard, right? Let go of what you already have won. You already know what you have. You already have it in your hands. You've gotten used to it. But he says, let go of that for the potential of something greater in your life. And Jesus says, I'm the one who gave it to you in the first place. Yeah. That's what he was saying. Just like the host on Let's Make a Deal, he gave this man the money in the first place. And so now he was saying, look, there's something more over here, but you need to let go of this. If you'll let go of this, then you can open this. But I think our response is, um, well, Jesus, can I have both? <laughs> because I kind of like this. I've gotten used to this. This is kind of good, but you know what? I might also like this too. So can't I have both? And Jesus says, no, because you can't serve two masters because either you're going to hate one and love the other or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other this was the tension that was going on with jesus and this young man let me ask you a question what are you clinging on to what is it that you're holding on to maybe for you it's a career that you've built and established over the last several decades. Maybe it's a business that you've started. Maybe it is money and wealth and the ability to create wealth that you're holding on to tightly. Maybe it's the things that money provides that you're holding on to. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship that you're unwilling to let go of because you're afraid if you let go of that person, then who will ever love you? Maybe it's for you, an identity that you've established. Maybe for you, it's an addiction that you haven't been able to let go of. Maybe for you, it's a physical place, your home, living in the hill country, which is so fantastic. And the idea of letting that go and moving someplace else, it just oh, it crosses so much fear and worry inside of you. 
Or maybe it's some sort of ideology or mindset or way of thinking that you're insisting upon. What is it that you're holding on to? What is it you're clinging to? Now, here's the thing that's so interesting about all of this, because none of these things are necessarily bad things. They're not necessarily bad things unless you place them above God. Because then the order, it gets out of order for us because the common thread with all of these attachments is control. We want to be in control. We want to be in control over our lives and over our choices. And the idea that somebody else is in control threatens us to our core. But what's so crazy is, is that when you make a decision to follow Jesus, Jesus says, I want to be in control. I want to be in control over your life and the decisions that you make in life. Again, Jesus said, Matthew 10, verse 39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Any of you have seen this bumper sticker up here on the screen? Have you seen this bumper sticker before? If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. Have you seen that before? It's a great saying, isn't it? I mean, it's an inspirational saying. But how many of you admit it stinks? When you think about it, the idea of switching seats with Jesus is really difficult. Now, probably most of us here in this room, or a lot of us here in this room, we want Jesus to be in the vehicle of our lives, right? We want him to be with us. That's why you're probably at church. You want him to be with you. You want him to help you. You want him to bless you. You want him to provide for you. You want him to heal you. We want him in the vehicle of our lives, but we want him there, and we still want to be in the driver's seat. How many of you, when you drive your own vehicle, want to be the one who drives? That's two hands for me. Whether it's going 20 minutes down the road or 20 hours down the road, I'm the one who drives in our family. I like to drive, but I also like to be in control. But here's the thing, because what Jesus is saying, he's saying, no, not going to happen this way, because he wants to drive you. He wants to lead you. But here's the thing, he can't. He can't lead you. He can't guide you until you get out of that driver's seat. He can't do this until you lose your life so that he can then give you the life that you were created to have. Now, here's the important thing to understand about all of this. Because if you lay down all of these things in the service of Jesus and for his kingdom, he won't necessarily take them away from you. It's such a crazy thing. He says, got to let him go. But then when you let him go, he doesn't necessarily take them. It's the, it's the funniest thing because here's the, here's the thing. You know, he's not a dictator. He's not a, a cult leader that says, not a choice. You want to be a part of this? You got to sell everything. You got to let go of everything. You got to disconnect from all your relationships and you got to come and be a part of this little cult thing. This little coven that we've established, that's not who Jesus is. That's not what he is saying here. He doesn't demand that we do these things. He only asks that we turn all of the decisions over to him. 
He asks that he becomes the one who leads us and guides us. And that he, what he's asking for us is that, 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 we, that, he, that we give over that certificate of title so that it's signed over to him, so that he is the master and we're the steward, not of our possessions, but of his possessions, because he's the one who put it in your hands in the first place. He's the one who gave it to you in the first place, and so he's just asking you to do what actually is already his. This is what Jesus was asking of this rich young man, but this rich young man was having a hard time getting this through his thick skull that Jesus was the one who had given him his wealth in the first place. He was having this game, let's make a deal with Jesus, but Jesus was that host that had already given him this wealth, and he was just asking, let go of it. Return it back to me, because I got something different, I got something better, I got something more for you. And here's the thing. I know so many different followers of Jesus Christ who've given their life for him, who've not been called to sell everything that they've owned. They're not called to leave everything that they've ever done. They've not had to forsake everything that they've ever been a part of. They haven't had to abandon the lives that they have built. But they have been called to use the lives that they have built for Jesus and for his kingdom. But as well, there are times, and I think it is true, that Jesus does take the things that we've laid down and given to him. But unlike the host of let's make it a deal, Jesus never replaces them with a jar of pickles. Those things that we lay down and give to him, you can know that you know that you know. Those things that you surrender to him, that you let go of, he never He never replaces those with a jar of pickles. Jesus always replaces them with something better. He always replaces them with something better. And I'm telling you, folks, your purpose is something better. What Sam and Frodo experienced by letting go of the comfort of the shire, they experienced this great adventure that they had, this something better. What Peter and Andrew and James and John experienced when they left the fishing business was something better. And what Jesus was trying to offer this rich young ruler was something better. And I'm telling you here this afternoon, what Jesus is offering you is something better. We're going to end here taking communion together. And I want to ask you if you just close your eyes, if you would, because I don't want you to have to think about anybody else. I want you to just think about you and and what God is speaking to you here today, and maybe God's been showing you some of these different obstacles that have been getting in your way of discovering your purpose and fulfilling your purpose. And maybe for you, you're realizing it is just, it's busyness, that busyness is something that maybe you've just kind of settled into, and that's your course of life, and, but you become so consumed with you and your stuff and, and you realize you're not even thinking about this world or thinking about others. And, and so as a result, you're not considering your purpose and all that God has for you. So maybe today, maybe today where you need to go and what you need to really address with God here. So maybe you need to ask him to help you see others and to see the world outside of your own personal busy universe 
Maybe for you, it's your priorities. Have you gotten your priorities all out of whack and you're realizing today that all you're doing is just surviving, just making it through the day. And your days are connecting into weeks and your weeks are connecting into months and months are connecting into years and years are connecting into decades. And you're realizing that all you've been doing is just surviving. And so maybe for you today, maybe you need to ask God to help you reprioritize your life so that fulfilling your purpose actually becomes a priority for you. And then maybe for you, you're, you're acting just like this rich young ruler and you're holding tight to different things in your life and you're afraid. If you really be honest with yourself, you realize that you're afraid that if you let go of what God has given you, that it won't be better than what you already have. Those things that God's asking you to do, you're afraid to let go of your life, to let go of whatever it is he's putting his finger, you're afraid because if you let go, what God fills you, will it be any better? You're afraid that you're gonna end up with just that proverbial jar of pickles. That's what you're gonna be left with. And so maybe you're holding on to that thing, you're holding on to that person, and you're doing it so tightly. But maybe here today, you're sensing something different. You're sensing that Jesus is asking you to let it go, to give it to him. And so right where you are, maybe even as a physical action to help you move forward, if you would, just put your hands out in front of you and and whatever it is that you're clinging on to, I want you to just kind of picture that in your hands. It may be a person. It, It may be your children or your grandchildren. It may be your job. It may be some goal or dream that you have. It may be your retirement. It may be your financial situation. Whatever it is that you feel like you're holding on to tightly, just right there in front of you, you kind of picture it in your hands. And, and obviously what we're doing is that you're holding on to it tightly. So close your fists around that thing because that's how you're going through life. It's those things are in your hands and your fist is tight, but... Maybe even today, you realize that God's asking you to let go. He's dealing with those fears and those worries. And and you don't want to be like that rich young ruler who just turns and walks away. But you want to believe that God has more, something better for you. And so just right where you are, whatever it is that you're holding on to tightly, just begin to open up your hand. Let your fingers come off of that thing and just put your palms upward in a release motion of just releasing whatever it is, that fear, that worry, that thing, that person, and just release that. Let go. Let go of that. So, Father, I pray for every one of us here in this room that, God, those things, these obstacles that are keeping us from realizing and walking in and fully discovering our purpose, 
that God, here today, that those things would no longer be stumbling blocks for any of us, that we would not be people who are just busy, full of activity, but no significance or impact, but we would truly be people who are making a difference, that we would be men and women who live in this region or ones who say, yes, God, yes to your will, yes to your ways, people who are making their lives available to you, whatever you want to do, and so, God, even right here in this motion of our, of our arms out and our palms faced upward, God, we're using this just today. Of God, we're saying, God, whatever it is, we let go. Whatever it is that we're holding on to, God, we want to say yes. We want to we make that action of letting go of everything, letting go of our lives, that you can put your life in us. That, Jesus, that you would be the driver of our lives and not just in the vehicle of our lives, but actually the one who leads us and drives us through the rest of our lives. We're going to take communion here together. And, and I always think this is a, this table is always a point of decision. It's always a point of decision. And I love the action that's involved with it. And so I want to encourage you, even as you take communion here today, that you're not, you don't just go through the motions of it, but this is just another level of surrender where you say, yes. Yes, I say yes, God, to your will. I don't know what it fully is, but I want to say yes to it, trusting that what he has is good, that what he has for you will be a blessing, that it's something more, it's something better, it's not a jar of pickles, but that you can trust him with it. And as you take communion here today, do it as an action point, a step of faith in surrendering those things again and anew. And so we have two tables set up front here. And uh, how we do this, we'll start with the front row and you'll exit from your right and you'll circle around, take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice and circle back to your seat. We do this as open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion. This table is something that Jesus sets for. And so I want to invite you to be a part of this. Bible describes for us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this is where we have the opportunity to make that confession anew and afresh again. So let's do this here together. I was feeling, and people here might be feeling that, um, we're saying, God, I'll take the jar of pickles. Please just give me the jar of pickles. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I deserve. And that's all there is for me. And God says, be obedient and step out and step into what I have for you. And that obedience means taking everything that God has and wants for your life. And it's more than just a jar of pickles. So step into that and be obedient. That, that word is exactly right. I'm going to ask the people that our prayer team to come forward here. We have men and women that are here at the end of every service, and they're, they're here to pray for you. And I, I want to sh share something real quick. Because I, number one, I think God wants to minister to some of you who that that issue, you feel like you're, you're only deserving of those, that jar of pickles. I think God wants to do something for you as well. But let me share one other thing, because in, in the first service, it was probably the heart, this first service that we had today 
was probably the hardest service that I've ever been a part of, maybe in my life, which is weird because I've been pastoring for 25 years. And, and, uh, but there was a person in the service um, that I don't know if they were drunk. I don't know if, um, I don't know what was going on. Um, but to be honest, I felt heckled the entire service. And this, this person was, was loud, and, um, but with Christian words throughout the whole service. And, uh, and it felt like trudging through mud the entire service, just trying to push through and not be distracted by what was horribly distracting. I'm sure for everybody it was, distract- it was horribly distracting for me, and I'm sure everybody else was very distracted. And uh, I, I kind of left that service feeling just a little bit defeated just because, ugh, you know, it's, I didn't feel like we were able to press through on some things. But as I sat back down here just, just a second ago, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me about that, is that when you walk out of this room, you'll be confronted with distractions that will war against you trying to fulfill your purpose. We can talk about purpose all day long here in the confines of this church building, but it's not walked out until you step out of these doors. And there'll be endless distractions in your life that will really war against you and contend um, in your life to try to keep you from fulfilling that purpose. And I I wanna just encourage you to press through. Just press through, don't give up. Don't give up, just press through because it is true. There is something more, something better that God has for you and you need to break the cycle you need to break the cycle of just surviving. Does that make sense? So these people are just going to hang out here. And I want to encourage you, take some time. Let somebody pray with you about what's going on in your life and what's happening in your situation. Let somebody agree with you. Don't just hurry out here. Let that kind of ministry happen. I think the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you that are here in this service. Let me speak a blessing just to add to this over your life. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.